Welcome back to another episode of Hot Takes Only. My name's Owen. I'm joined by, as always, my good friend Willie Kniezner. Willie, what's happening, my man? Uh, let me t- let me tell you something, buddy. Uh, it was a long day today, and um, I usually after a long day, right, you try to come home, but unfortunately, it's not coming home. Oh, oh! You had to start the show off like that. I got a little confused at first when you oh, were uh, you were kind of given that uh, yeah. you know, little spiel. Oh, and I want to open the show strong, okay? Yeah. Now, okay. I, I think I think that we we both know that the line with sports, where it's you know you enjoy it, but you know it's not life, and you just move on when they're when they're losses and stuff. But I want to open you with this quote that the, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about this journalist who just sat with fans during the game and I want to read you I'm not going to read you what they said about the post game but I want to read you what he said during the game and it's this guy and his name is Will Pritchard and he said this is during the game after 45 minutes when England's up and they they're trying to make their first World Cup final since 1966 and he says I can't stop moving I've, I've literally been shaking for three hours I haven't done any work for days I've dreamt a lot about World Cups Every morning, I think, Harry Kane in the final. And, you know, like we said, you know, uh, life, life goes on. But, you know, this fan, I think, was really an analogy for, you know, you could really feel sometimes, you know, sports kind of really lifted England. And you really just – I'm just absolutely gutted after that, that loss. And, and you, ne- you never know the way the draw set up for them. You don't know if, if England's going to get a better chance than they had. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. It's uh... – you could act. You could see what this meant to England. Uh, obviously, a very proud footballing nation. They'll say they're the home of original football. Brazilians might say otherwise. Argentinians might say otherwise, and yada yada yada. But for all this talk of its coming home, it really did feel like this was different for England. And to see them come up that close uh, was—it's heartbreaking for them. But at the same time, you understand the the leaps this team has made since 2014, even since 2010. Uh, really the end of that golden generation where you had players like Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard really in the primes of their careers, Paul Scholes as well. Uh, 2014 was definitely the end of that. Stevie G's last year in charge of the England squad uh, as a captain. Uh, and, and you just think about what what this meant to England outside of the football. I mean, people, obviously, both in the United States and in the U.K., both seemingly pretty divided on on things like Donald Trump's presidency and Brexit right. and, and what have you and these far-right movements all across Europe. But football is the one thing every four years that, that can unite all of us. And it came up just short, or they came up just short, England did, and it's disappointing. But at the end of the day, uh, what you do on the pitch is what matters in these tournaments. And Croatia absolutely took it to England in the second half. I mean, that was... <laughs> That was one of the most dominating performances I've ever seen out of a team in a semifinal because most of the time both teams are pretty timid, you know, not really taking it to the other team, kind of mm-hmm. just seeing if they can get a, a one chance here, one chance there. But Croatia really took it to England, uh, and fair play for them to, for doing that. Well, what did you see, Owen? I mean, if you had to pinpoint, you know, what do you think are the most important reasons that, you know, England lost that game? What would you see? It, it was just the the stage, I think, and the the fatigue. I mean, you you think of the goal they conceded in, in extra time. Mario Mandzukic, of course, one of the the most notorious big game players in mm-hmm. in all of Europe. I think you'd agree with me there, or I hope you'd agree with me. If you don't, then that's yeah, we have the show. Uh, but it, it's just you saw John Stones and and 
uh, Trippier, I think it was, maybe Walker, just completely switch off. Um, and that was kind of like it was for the first goal as well. Very very similar type of goal, not exactly the same, but just, just switching off and allowing Mandzukic to have that yard, half a yard of space, which is really all someone of his caliber needs to, to really slot mm-hmm. it. Uh, past Pickford, who's been one of the players of the tournament for me. Yeah, oh, abs- Pickford's been absolutely great. He, he almost saved him that game. But yeah, it was just a, it almost, it, it seemed like the moment was, you know, too big for them. Uh, the, the experience didn't seem like it mattered until the moment got really big. And you just wonder, I mean, um, you just wonder if, if England converts one of those, if Harry Kane converts one of those chances in the first half, you just wonder if, we, if England could kill off the game there. You know, that that's, that's it. All it almost seemed like, you know, when, when they when they had him on the ropes and they didn't kill the game, you just knew that that Croatia was going to rally. But at the end of the day, you know, it was getting later and later in the match, and you're thinking maybe England's just going to hold on, you know, for a one-zero win. Yeah, it, it definitely felt that way. If England could replicate that first half, but again, it, it was it was so tough for them to really get anything going in the second half. They had their fair share of chances, yes, but Croatia really dominated the game. Uh, from the start of the second half on to the end of extra time. I will say, though, the most surprising but unsurprising stat for me has been Luka Modric's distance covered. Through six oh. games of the World Cup, he's he's run 39.1 miles. Not kilometers, miles. Miles. That is That's insanity. Incredible. And he just seems to get stronger as the game goes on. It was exactly. the same thing in the Russia game. Three straight games in extra time, everybody's talking about, you know, is Croatia going to be tired? It looked like England got tired. You know what I mean? Yeah, and... and Croatia definitely had that chip on their shoulder, and I think that'll be it'll serve them well for the final. Uh, but we'll get to we'll get to the final in just a little bit. Um, I think at the end of this little section, I want to quickly shift over to France versus Belgium, um, and then we'll mm-hmm. get into kind of from that the big transfer news, which I'm pretty sure you've all heard by now if you follow world football. It's Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Um, France and Belgium, and. Some of the comments from from some of the Belgian players after the game, yes, particularly Hazard, and yes. I believe it was—I don't can't remember who else it was—but I think Hazard was the main one. Hazard. Yep. Uh, he said, "I'd rather uh, lose with this Belgium squad than win with that French squad," um, just based on the way they played football. Now, this is a Belgium team who are absolutely loaded from from really back to front, front to back. Any way you look at it, this team is absolutely stacked. And to see the way they played against not France, but Brazil. They played really tight, really compact against Brazil. They really packed it into the 18-yard box and closed down the Brazilian playmakers on the edge of the box, which is fair because otherwise, how are you going to deal with a team as talented as Brazil? The other thing is they played the exact same way that France did in the final, playing with hold-up hold up balls to Giroud to get runners in underneath. Belgium did the same thing with Lukaku and Hazard and Shadley and the rest of their mm-hmm. midfield contingent who's absolutely incredible but really underperformed against France. Now I will say that France playing as compact as they did made it hard for Belgium and of course hard for anyone but it's not to say that Belgium isn't guilty of the same thing so it's a little hypocritical to me to hear Hazard say these kinds of things. It, to me I, I, I'm glad you brought up that quote because I had the exact same thoughts. It's not only hypocritical but you know everybody's been criticizing the you know pragmatic Didier Deschamps and it, it reminds me of you know when um you know I've read stories about when Didier Deschamps won as a player uh his coach also um got criticized for the same thing but you know what it's working and this isn't it this shows incredible man management skills to me to get guys like 
uh, Antoine Griezmann and Paul Pogba to just play great defense and to, you know, these are guys that are great attacking players with flair, but they've decided in Olivier Giroud to play behind the ball. You know, like this is working. And if there's anything we've learned from this World Cup, you know, it's it's direct play and direct play, fast attacking and, and goals from set pieces. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, Eden Hazard can talk all he wants. Roberto Martinez can try to create promotive flair. At the end of the day, he got his tactics wrong and Belgium lost the game. So if, if France plays such incredible, you know, they're they're so compact and it's so hard for teams to break down that, you know, to me, this is really good uh, tactics by Deschamps, if you ask me. Do you think they go away from that in, in the final and really go at Croatia, who have played three consecutive games that went to extra time and have have just seemingly been pushed to the edge every single time. I think, personally, France will have that little bit of arrogance to think that mm-hmm. you know we are a better footballing side than you are. So we're going to take the game to you. We're not just going to sit back and let you break us down. Because even so, I think I think Croatia will have that chip on their shoulder. They'll have that extra energy to to run that extra mile, to make mm-hmm. that extra to sprint, that extra sprint, to step in that extra challenge. Uh, I, and it'll be an interesting game. Um, but I, I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, so I think this is going to be really interesting. You brought up. Uh, I think this game we have probably. Would you agree? I mean, the two best midfields in, in the World Cup, and it's going to be a chess match. Um, on the outsides um, between Matuidi and Mbappe and Rebic and Perisic in the middle you have Rakitic and Modric and you know Ibrazovic and, and then you also uh, for France you've got you've got Conte and Pogba and you know it's going to be fascinating to see you know is is Paul Pogba going to try to make those vertical runs forward that we know so well about it, or are they going to sit deep and are, are and let Croatia control the game if you ask me I think that France is going to pressure a little bit more, and they're and uh, I don't even think necessarily that it's going to be they're going to try to control the game and balls in possession. But I think that they're really going to pressure Croatia and not allow guys like Luka Modric and Rakitic to get balls um, higher up the field where they're more dangerous. Yeah, I, I I definitely think it's going to be more of a tactical chess match than we've seen uh, at least from France, but I do think they have enough goal-scoring ability to get the job done. And I don't know about your prediction, Willie, but uh, I know I, in the knockout round preview episode, I called a Croatia-Brazil final. Mm-hmm. That obviously didn't happen for Brazil, but yeah. Croatia, uh, surprising not only myself after the, the group stage, but just everyone else in this tournament, second smallest team to ever make the World Cup final. Incredible. Uh, I think they are, unfortunately, though, going to come up short. Yeah. I've got France winning the final on Sunday, 3-1. to one. Yeah, honestly, I just don't see how you can score on this France team. I mean, Croatia can always play a little more direct to Mandzukic, but, you know, France dealt with those Belgium crosses so well. And, um, yeah, I, I think France is going to win a 1-0 game. But, um, yeah, it's going to be – I am I mean, I'm very excited uh, for the final. And, you know, we should just mention uh, one thing you just mentioned about, you know, Croatia and being the 4 million country. You know, it's it's – if there's anything this World's Cup, it's the the golden generations, you know. This is Croatia's, you know, maybe this is their best and only ever chance to win. You know, Belgium had their gold generation. They didn't get it done. Uruguay had their golden generation. Uh, they didn't quite get it done either. So, you know, it would be a really nice story to see Croatia win. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I just don't see how they can score on, on France. It'll be tough. I think they might get it done, but it might be well, one of those goals their, in garbage time. What do you think their best strategy is to score? How do you think they go about scoring? I think it's I think it's personally to get France to get away from what they've been doing so well the entire tournament, is to get France to play a game that's not pragmatic or defensive or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the best chance they have is to, to catch the likes of... Uh, Teo Hernandez or uh, Pavard or Umtiti or Varane is to catch one of them sleeping for a split second. If anyone, it's going to be Umtiti just because he he has that tendency sometimes, but he makes up with it for how well he's able to win balls in the air. Um, I think Varane is, is a bit smarter of a defender. I'm not saying Umtiti is dumb by any stretch. Uh, I think just Varane is he's more... So positionally so he, good. he reads the game very well, and I've been calling him a skinny Virgil van Dyke. I will stick by that. I will acknowledge my <laughs> Liverpool bias, but I will call him a skinny Virgil van Dyke because that's essentially what he is if you think about the way those two play. Um, last thought on the final, Willie. Um, I just want to see how, how Subasic for Croatia, uh, how, how he keeps playing. It seems like he's, he keeps playing on one leg. Yeah, I mean... Uh... He he's gonna be he's he's incredible. Like you said, uh, you were really concerned when he when he picked up that injury. But you know that's you know if we've learned anything from the World Cup, you know um, go- goalies make a big difference. You know, and it, it could it could come down to that. And also set pieces, man. You know, can't forget Croatia's been vulnerable in set pieces, and France has won the Uruguay and Belgium games on set pieces. So yeah. it's going to come. We're, we're definitely in for one of the better World Cup finals we've seen lately. I mean, last last World Cup was no slouch. I missed it, at least the extra time goal by Götze. Uh, but it, it was a pretty solid game on both sides, uh, although Argentina will, will want uh, Gonzalo Higuain to never think about missing a, a chance from eight yards out ever again in his life. Oh, yeah. Maybe it wasn't that eight yards, painful. but still, to, to miss that chance for a, a striker of his caliber is just is unacceptable is if you're Argentinian. It, like Garrett Southgate said, too, it's a game of margins. You know, England it had a is. couple chances. They didn't win, and, and that's that. But real quick, did you, um, do you think – how much of, you know, nine of – there have been so many set-piece goals. France have gone through. England scored nine of their 12 goals in set-pieces. I mean, do you attribute that to luck? I mean, obviously, you know, it's good service and, and good headers. But do you tr- how much of that do you think is luck? I mean, surely you can't rely on set pieces as much as we've seen these teams doing. No, even Belgium beat Brazil on a set piece. Right? No, you can't. You can't rely on them, but they can definitely be a weapon in your arsenal. Uh, arsenal uh, that can serve you well. I mean, I think it, it's it's down to the personnel you have. Obviously, you look at England, who was so good on set pieces. You look at the players they they brought to the tournament. The the two quote unquote proper English six foot four center halves, uh, and I'm talking about Harry Maguire. John Stone's more of a ball player, less of a physical mm-hmm. step, you know, really gets stuck in kind of defender. Uh, but again, the height and the and the size, it, it makes a difference on set pieces. And I think for them, that was what helped them get so far. And of course, Harry Kane, no slouch in the air himself. Um, so it, I think it's not something you can def, you can rely on game in and game out, but it is something that you can have if you practice it. And it's, it's important on the other side as well to practice the marking and the defensive Absolutely. side of it. Because... You, you think about teams who, who mark man-to-man versus zonal marking. There's this whole discussion on what's more Which effective. do you like better? I personally like man-to-man because mm. it's it's more, you know, it, make make them beat you one-on-one. That's, that's right. I mean, if, if, if you get beat one-on-one, then you put your hands up and say, okay, fine. But if three guys are left unmarked at the back post or the front post, Right. Then that's that's down to multiple guys screwing up, and that's it's you know it's not as quote unquote sustainable. 
And I was surprised, too, more teams haven't been put. I mean, I know it backfired. I mean, it didn't work in the England game, but I'm surprised more players, teams haven't been putting players on the post. Yeah, post. It's, this has been a weird one. And, of course, Trippier allowing that goal in England's quarterfinal match against Colombia, which was uh, – I'm glad yeah, I'm not that's an bad. England supporter. I'll put it that way. I, I like an English team, but I'm not an English supporter, so thank God for that. Um, for sure. All right. So after Sunday, we're going to say goodbye to the World Cup, which is a, a bit of a saddening thought. But at the same time, that means we are less than a month a, a month away from the start of the 2018-19. I can't believe I'm saying that. Premier League season yes. starting on August 10th, which is coincidentally Very a shameless plug the same day as Focus Features' release of Black Klansman, which you should all see in theaters. I am not going <laughs> to pay to say this. But you should go see it anyway because I'm Absolutely. sure it's going to be amazing. Uh, I've heard it's amazing. Absolutely. Um, back to the Premier League. Uh, I am beyond excited for this season, not just because Liverpool made two fantastic signings, or one of them official. One of them made this year, one of them made last year, but became official this year. Uh, I'm talking about Fabinho from Monaco and Nabi Keita coming finally from RB Leipzig. Um, Man City obviously completing the signing of Riyad Mahrez recently. Uh, and we've got mm-hmm. a lot to look forward to in England Definitely. in the Premier League. However, the giant elephant in the room uh, by the name of Cristiano Ronaldo has completely changed the landscape of club football in Europe. And I want to get your sense of where we're at, Willie, uh, after Cristiano Ronaldo's transfer from three-time defending European champions Real Madrid to Juventus. Well, uh I mean, two thoughts. Number one, I think, like you said, I think it completely uh, changes the landscape of, of European football. I think, you know, we're not, Real Madrid won three straight Champions Leagues. I would say they're no longer the favorites. I don't think there's a clear favorite. And at the same time, I honestly think uh, this was the smart move from Real Madrid. I have no doubt that Ronaldo, you know, they were thinking about selling him a few years ago. And I know that the Ronaldo has another good year or two in him. But at the end of the day, Real Madrid has an aging squad. Uh, they have several players over the age of 30, and they, you know, they should trade. They should do a transfer and get rid of Ronaldo while he has a lot of value, because you know you don't want to get not now, and that will enable their ability to, you know, maybe a Kylian Mbappe or or even a Neymar. Um, but I, I think it was a necessary move for for both sides. But what do you think, Owen? Uh, I think it's it's good for. Uh, Cristiano, maybe not as much for Real Madrid, um, okay. and I attribute that personally. And th- and this goes this goes back a few years. And and people who know me pretty well, at least in the mm-hmm. footballing sense, can attest to this. I think uh, their upper management, and I'm talking about Florentino Perez, Perez. Uh, is out of his mind. He is a very very short triggered or. Uh, quick whatever the phrase is he's very quick to fire very good managers and i don't think he knows what he's doing a lot of the time he just wants those kind of those sexy big name players mm-hmm. you know right. your, your gareth bales your cristiano ronaldo's your neymar's your you know he, he wants the players that grab headlines because ultimately those are the players who are going to bring revenue to the club it doesn't matter how they how well they right. do in footballing sense um, he did a, a very smart thing in firing Rafa Benitez and bringing on Zinedine Zidane. Mm-hmm. We obviously know how yep. well that worked out for Real Madrid, but I, I just, I just don't think there's a a clear long term plan for Perez. Now, with a club the size of Real Madrid, it's it's always win today and win tomorrow. But it's hard to win tomorrow if you're only focused on winning today and what you've won today. It kind of takes away from what you're trying to do in the future. 
So, well, let me ask you this, Owen. So, I completely agree with you on the point of some of the moves that Perez has made in terms of the, you know, the, the he has a huge ego, and some of the sometimes some of his transfers, like the splashes for Kaká and etc. Like, you know, I'm not sure, but I mean, what do you what do you think about? I mean, do you do you think they should have held on to him, and then you know you run the risk of not getting much for him in a couple of years when he when he does father time does start to define. No, and this is a tricky one as well. So I, I will give him a little bit of credit. It's just I think Ronaldo kind of lost his patience with, with, uh, with Perez, mm-hmm. and and rightly so. Uh, you know, yeah. Perez has gone through so many top class managers in, in his time as president. His second stint as Which president, is ridiculous. Yeah, yep. and you think of the the managers he's fired in his career. Uh, Ancelotti, obviously, Rafa Benitez, Ancelotti, Yep Hankis back in the day. Uh, yep. Del Bosque as well for Spain. It, yep. It's just the list goes on and on of, of top managers he's fired. Now, not all those managers were super successful. Jose Mourinho as well. Not all those managers were super successful at Real Madrid, but you have to think that there's there's no cohesion and you have to give your personnel a chance to succeed. You have to put them in the best possible position. And a club with the resources of Real Madrid should always be competing for the top titles and putting their team in a position to win. And you know, obviously, before 2014, they had gone a while without winning the Champions League, and for them, that's that's a problem. And I think it goes back to Paris. Now, obviously, they're in this era where they're three-time holders. No one's ever done that in the era of the Champions League. Uh, back when right. it was the European Cup, that was the case. But uh, I, I think it again just goes back to his kind of arrogance and his his. It's his huge. Demands. It's a huge error. It's huge arrogance. Yeah, I, I definitely I mean, agree there. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, what do you think about? Um, you know, Real Madrid in the sense that, uh, you know, you look at them right now, right? And obviously, Ronaldo's gone. Luka Modric is 32. Um, Kareem Benzema's 30. Gareth Bale's 28. But, you know, there's rumors about him being sold. So we could have a whole new attack. Now, obviously, they're young guys. Um, and there's, you know, you have Kovacic, who's very young, too. But this is a, a team that, uh, and Isco is young as well. But uh, this is a team that could be... I, I don't, and you never know who they'll bring in, but if they do not much, I don't want to say lacking in the tech, but, you know, it's going to be significantly diminished. Yeah, I think they've got a bit of an edge um, over most teams in this comparison just because they've they've always been able to put themselves in a position to go out and get the best players, um, and it's mm-hmm. not the same thing exactly like with the Yankees in baseball, it's the same idea of going to get these established superstars even when they're over the hill um, because a lot of times Real Madrid will, will do that before they hit their prime or or, or while they're right in their prime. Um, and baseball is also a different sport where you tend to get you know players in their primes past the age of 30, and that's usually not a good thing. And teams have talked extensively, at least in baseball circles, about signing players over 30. Uh, John Lester with the Red Sox right. a few years ago comes to mind. Um, J.D. Martinez this year, although he's turned out to be a, a great signing, at least so far. Um, but back to soccer, right. it's it's one of those things where it's, I think they're in a good spot uh, to mm-hmm. be able to compete, but it's not sustainable. It's only sustainable as long as they can they can keep winning. And that's, it's you know, when you have to prove it year in and year out, it becomes kind of a, you know, a tough situation. It definitely does. So what do you expect from Ronaldo and Juventus? Do you think he's going to uh, I expect shine? more of the same. I, I expect with a team that plays more, not on the back foot, but more defensively, he's going to get more opportunities on the counterattack. Uh, he's going to be scoring a similar amount of goals. He's going to add another dimension to Juventus. 
um, one they don't really have this this kind of you know the guy because at, 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 you know you, you think of Ronaldo he's always been the guy wherever he went uh, especially after I believe it was Beckham leaving Real Madrid or leaving Manchester United back in the day when when mm-hmm. he won the European Trophy in two thousand seven two thousand eight uh, you know he really was the guy at at Manchester United he goes to Real Madrid Raúl retires after a year Cristiano Ronaldo is again the main man at Real Madrid for so many years uh, and now mm-hmm. he's at Juventus where you have the likes of Recently signed Emre Chan from Liverpool. Uh, and nobody's Kadira. talking about that now. No one's talking about that signing. And he was asked about Ronaldo at his unveiling, which is, is <laughs> that's, a, that's something we have to acknowledge. That's it's it's kind of ridiculous the the effect that he has on the team. Um, but again, Iguain, Dybala, uh, Buffon leaving the club, and, and now Ronaldo comes in. It's it, you've got to be thinking that he is going to love the spotlight um, in the last few years of his career at Juventus and. You know, I think it'll we'll be we'll see more of the same from Ronaldo if he can stay healthy and and given the way he takes care of his body, I think that'll be that'll be no problem at all. For sure, no, I, and I mean, you got I mean, Ronaldo gives you such an advantage. Um, I I'm sure they will. You know, they're talking about a lot of players. We'll have to wait and see because they are going to have to sell a player at least or a, a couple. Um, they're you know, uh, I listen. I'd happily do a Ronaldo and get rid of Iguain, but um, which they. I think about. that's that's they, the that's most likely. That's a rumor to Chelsea. They're, he's rumored to Chelsea, uh, yeah. which I think would be really interesting. We'd also, have... the news breaking today of Antonio Conte being sacked by by Chelsea. Final. Final. Uh, about it's, time. It's probably the worst kept secret in world football, at least over the last six six to eight months or so. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I mean. We can get this into the prim- in the Premier League session, but I mean, it's yeah, just no, we're, we're going like, to we're going to yeah. really spend our time at the Big Six, and we'll we'll have uh, my brother and his friends on the show. Uh, exact date of that to be announced, but it'll probably be the week before opening sure. day, which is the August tenth, before my brother and his friends uh, go on their lads trip to England. Do you think, Dylan? Do you think that real quick? Do you think Zinedine Zidane reti- um, quit knowing that? And do you think he knew Ronaldo wasn't coming back? I think he had a sense of what was going on at the club, um, you know, with so many egos in the dressing room and in the management. I think something was bound to happen. Whether or not he knew exactly uh, is one thing, but I, I keep saying that you know, for for a club like Real Madrid to only win the Champions League or to not win any trophies, that would have been a grounds for firing for Zidane. Um, should should they have They're, failed to beat Liverpool? Which is crazy. So you know, the, it, it, that's just the kind of pressure you face, and, and maybe he he thought, you know what, three times three times in a row is probably enough for me. I'm gonna go uh, take a break for a while, and maybe you know go to a club in England a few years from now, or in France, or in in Spain, or Germany. Who knows? Yeah, for for sure, for sure. But anyways, it, it, uh, switching over to another sport played yeah. across the pond in in England, uh, mm-hmm. overshadowed is doesn't even come close to it. Uh, we'll talk about Wimbledon in a little bit. Um, just because it's being overshadowed by the World Cup final on it Sunday, is. the Wimbledon final, the women's final on Saturday, and the men's final Crazy. on Sunday. Crazy, and it's... England's playing during the – actually, funny, they actually – we'll get to it, but they actually, during the Federer match that he lost to Conor Anson, they actually chanted, it's coming home, and during the one of his serves, and he lost the game. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm, I'm sure he's not too pleased about that, but he's he's won I don't know how many titles, I think 18 at this point. Yeah, so I think he'll be able to sleep at night. I don't know about you. For sure. So, Owen, what do you we uh, in the terms of the British Open, which comes up next weekend? Uh, golf returns to Carnoustie. I think the last time it was played in 2006, Tiger Woods won. He beat uh, Chris DiMarco and a young Sergio Garcia. 
Um, you know, great historic course. Uh, obviously, no. His last, sorry, his last win was 2006 at Hoy Lake. Uh, 05. Oh, okay. It, it hasn't been a Carnoustie in a while. Oh, wow. that, or at so least even, maybe right. not 05. But the, the most okay. memorable, it, it might have been 06. Sorry for correcting hmm. you. Uh, but the I'm most. Not sure. The most salient memory was Vandervelt in the '90s. Um, oh yeah, when he his absolute went into meltdown. 18th, when he went into the 18th hole. Exactly. So yeah. I think I think we're we're in for depending on the weather. Of course, this is Lynx Golf after all. Um, right. Dependent on the wind and the weather, but I, I think we're in for another great open. Carnasty, Carnusty, also nicknamed Carnasty, is is a notoriously tough golf course. I mean, my dad played it. I think when I was a kid in the early 2000s. Um, and he told me it was one of the hardest courses he's ever played. Uh, one of the yeah. holes, uh, par five is just called long because it's, a yeah. of, it's, it's a, quite a long hole. Um, and my dad said he had a three wood and a three wood. Uh, and the Scottish guy he was saying with went by God, my lad, that was the best three wood shot I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and you know, my dad doesn't hit the ball the farthest, you know, he's not hitting it as far as tour pros, but it, it's just, it, I, I can't get that memory out of my head. So I'm, I'm excited to see how they handle that hole. Um, also one of the harder holes in the golf course. You're right. And, and actually Jack Nichols, uh, Jack Nicholas, uh, said that that was, uh, yeah, Jack Nicholas, <laughs> Jack Nicholas said that, uh, that's, it was the toughest course he's played at the British open. But let me ask you on, I mean, other than the, you know, outside of, is it just the elements of typical links golf or what, what in your mind makes Carnoustie such a challenging test of golf? It's, it's just the layout really. Um, with links golf, it's, most of it's down to the weather. Um, you never really right. know what you're going to get as far as the scoring is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, you could have no wind and it could be really tame and you could have low scoring or you could have high winds and more rounds in the 80s than rounds in the 60s. So it's, it's dependent on the wind, but but Carnoustie is just a tough course. I mean, you take away the elements and it's still, it, you, you look at that course and you go, yeah, I'll have to get around that thing in as many as few shots as possible. This is going to be fun. And one and one of the toughest things too about a, a I think a British Open specifically is yes the the conditions are always bad, um, and you know there's a lot of controversy made about in the U.S. Open about you know they they really uh, made the course so tough that the players in the afternoon on Saturday had it so tough and and it allowed the players that played Saturday morning to come back in, but. Sometimes the British Open, a lot of it's about if you're on the right side of the draw, you know? Like, you could go out in the morning or the afternoon, and it could be, you know, really easy for the morning compared to the afternoon, or, you know, the morning could be really tough. Yeah, you, so you just you, you just hit the pay. nail on the head there. That's exactly the difference. Um, sometimes you could have really tough winds in the morning, tough conditions, and then the afternoon dies down. You could have the other way around. It, it's just you never really know what's going to happen, and that's the element of golf that, that you cannot – by any means control the us the usga tried to manufacture that and of course tiger woods had some choice words for mike davis and his team um as yeah. far as setting up the course but it's it's one of those things where you never know what you're going to get until you start seeing it and and it, it really when you start to see it you go oh okay yeah no i can understand why this guy just posted a 90 you know this professional right just posted a 90 it's incredible and some guy in the in the in the afternoon posts like a 64 uh, right. It's just one of those things, and, and golf is you know one of those kind of sports that it, it you never know what you're gonna get. You really just never you know. Just you can be know. at the top of your game and and fail to to make a single birdie all day, or you could be down in the dumps for for months and shoot the court, the round of your life. It's just it's just one of those sports. It's it's, it's hell of a time, you know. It's yeah. It's and you know. So you're right. It, it was in uh, 2007. Uh, that was the last time it was held there. Patrick Harrington won 
That's what I what, 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 do you, what are you most looking forward to if you had to pick? Uh, for me, uh, I'm going to go with a bit of a homer pick. I know people don't like Tiger yeah. Woods, um, but just to see how, how his back handles the flow. Okay. Um, you know, you, you talk about a guy who's had fusion back surgery, and this is something that people have usually in their 60s, um, and he's 42, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just incredible to see the, the kind of power and the distance he's had, um, how he's been able to play since his comeback. I mean, people thought he wasn't – I mean, even he thought a few years ago that, you know, getting into competitive golf again was going to be a huge question mark. And here he is now competing in some tournaments, albeit coming up short, um, but just being competitive again. And it will be really interesting to see how he, he handles that. Um, I'm certainly hoping he can play really well and, and make a run on Saturday or Sunday. Um, but – you never know. So his his health, I'd say, is the one thing I'm going to keep an eye on the most. Um, and I want to get your sense of what you're watching when we, uh, when we head yeah. over to Carnoustie in about uh, For sure. a week's time. Well, A, to add on a, a couple of things. Um, well, first off, you know, to add on to your point real quick, I, I am very excited. That I think I want to see Tiger get back into contention at, the ma- at a major. You know, and I want to see him – there's something to be said. I, I want to say – you have to teach him how to win, but you know when you're out of it for so, you know when you when you've had such a long time and you saw you know he, he got really close at Valspar, you know you just want to see him. I can only imagine seeing him break through, man. You know and and just, but the amazing thing is if he, you know and like he and, and you know us from playing golf, sure. You know it's one of the toughest things about golf is just you got to put your all your whole game together at the same time, you know. Like recently, Tiger Woods has been talking about, oh, he's been hitting the ball great, but it's just he's putting. He's not putting like he did early in the year. So how frustrating is it when you feel like you know one part of your game is playing well and the other just is holding you back? You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happens every time, and you feel like that with with every passing, every passing shot that or part of your game that isn't going well, you're thinking, oh my god, I'm gonna quit this game. Um, but then one thing goes well and you want to stay with it and it's just it's just maddeningly addictive because mm-hmm. no matter how poor poorly you're playing you want to keep playing it, it, it's just one of those things that it's really hard to put into words it's just you you hate it but you love it but you really hate it but you really really love it um, and it's yeah you know and it's really hard to have all facets of all facets of your game working at once uh, and to see and, and again this goes back to Tiger Woods dominance in the 2000s. It's so hard to have every part of your game clicking at once, and for him to do it for so long he was at so such a high level, it, it I, we'll never see that again. If you ask me, never, so, not even close. And that's interesting. I guess segue to what I'm most looking forward to. So I, there's actually a couple players that I'm most looking forward to seeing, and the number one when we talk about the trouble hard with the consistent with consistency. So the first number one thing I'm looking forward to is I want to see what we're going to see out of Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, we talk about his own. Golf is hard, um, but yes, yes, Jordan, it is. Spieth is, Jordan Spieth is having a down year. Um, he, he's particularly he had he had a couple good tournaments earlier in the year. He, he had top fives at the Masters and the Houston Open, but he's really struggled since the Masters. He's missed three cuts um, in the other four tournaments. He hasn't finished in the top twenty, and you know, in a Ryder Cup year, you know, I, I want to see him play well at the biggest moments and. You know, you talk about it at a Lynx golf course. One of the things they talk about is how do you handle these long greens? Oh, Spieth's known so known for his long putting. He's 173rd in strokes gained putting this year. Um, so I, I don't know. He, he obviously he can get it better, but he's just 
he's struggling and you hope for the U.S. Ryder Cup chances and just for his own sake that he can really put it together while the majors are, are here. Yeah, and really every player, I, I don't know if they'd all admit this, but they all prioritize the majors more than any individual tournament. Um, I know it's probably not great for anyone to admit that, uh, but it, it, the reality is these are the tournaments with the biggest payday, uh, especially if you win one like the Masters, you are set for life as far as playing in that tournament. Uh, and you know, growing up in, Atl- in Atlanta, I always wanted to win the Masters if I was ever a pro golfer, which I never was, obviously. Uh, or I, I wouldn't be here. Um, but it's it's just one of those things that, you know, golf is is one of those really weird games. And I think for someone who's having a down year like Spieth, it, it could all change in a week. It, it, all, it only takes one little round here, one tweak here, one adjustment there, and you could be back to the top of your game. It's just, it's one of those things. So I wouldn't put too much stock into it. No, obviously, if you're not playing well, it's, it's not usually a good sign mentally. Uh, but the top players like Jordan Spieth, like Tiger Woods, like Dustin Johnson have been able to really show that mental toughness and to block off any distractions and just get to playing golf. And that's what makes them successful. Um, so I think I think we'll have a decent showing from Spieth. Um, of course, you know, like with the Cristiano Ronaldo transfer, uh, you and I are, uh, as I said last week, in the business of being wrong. So uh, who knows? He could shoot 80-80 and miss the cut. I, I don't know. I don't have the answers for you. Yeah, for sure. No, it's uh... – like you said, you can't read too much. He's such a good player, but you hope he regains. And I guess my, my last thought and what I'm most excited for, and now again, I, I'm very, we're very wrong on, on a lot of things, but um, I think I, I'm very excited to see, and I'm, I'm really, I think if you ask me who I'd put my money on, I think Patrick Reed's going to win this golf tournament. Interesting. Um, he just, he, A, he's been playing well this year. He's had four top tens. Um Obviously, won the Masters, two of those top tens, and he had another top ten in the U.S. Open. Um, just he seems to be playing well in the biggest moments, and uh, for two reasons. Number one, you know, going back, all the, he's played well at the last um, really three majors. He uh, played well at the PGA, and then last season, and then coming into the Masters in the U.S. Open this year. And uh, another thing is, if there's anything that's important, also at a least golf course, you know, you got to keep the ball in the fairway. Um, you can't miss. You can't miss with the roughs and and with the pop bunkers. And Patrick Reed has figured out with this new stroke how to how to keep the ball more accurate. It's an unconventional stroke, but we know how good he is around the green. So he's never going to be a guy that hits it that far. But the fact that he can hit the ball in the big mo- in the big tournaments, he's hitting the fairways. I think that's going to serve him well. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely positioned for success in big tournaments. He just has that kind of game. As much as I personally don't like him, that's not yeah. anything on, on his golfing ability. It's just more mm-hmm. of a, a personal thing. Uh, I, I think his, his game suits him really well uh, for really any kind of any kind of tournament, and especially for the majors. He just kind of shows up. Um, so yeah. it, it'll be it'll he'll be one to watch for sure. I don't know if I'd put my money on him if I was a betting man. So, Owen, who are you putting your money on? on. If I had to put money on anyone. Wow. Uh, I, I was not ready for this. I was not ready to put money on one player in particular. I'm going to say Francesco Molinari. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Capitalizing off that win he had a couple Yeah, weeks. and, and wow. I, I just I think his game fits Carnoustie really well. Um, you have to be accurate, but also decently long. He fits both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fair putter as well. He's gotten better. He's not the, He wasn't always the best, but he's gotten better uh, over the years. Interesting. And, and to win at, at, on a Lynx course, you don't have to be the best putter in the world. It helps to be pretty good, um, but you just have to putt well enough to win, and I think he, he's got what it takes. If I had to put more money on anyone, 
But of course, you know, it's it's anyone's game. You got young players nowadays in the game. You've got some guy named Tiger Woods who used to be pretty good and apparently is now back playing again. At, who knows? Right. <laughs> um, it's incredible. But but it's it's one of those things where it could it could literally go any of a hundred and fifty something ways. So I, I don't want to sure. put money on it just because I'm not a courageous betting man, nor do I have all that much money to put much money to put on that in the first place. For sure. No, no. And so it, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I guess at the uh, the other event, uh, just uh, pretty close by, we got uh, Wimbledon, which the finals are going to be this weekend. And I think it's important we cover Wimbledon. Uh, I love tennis, but um, I think just this Wimbledon specifically on the men's and women's side has been crazy. And I just want to mention it for a second. I mean, to start off uh, on the women's side, uh, this has been a contrasting fortunes because early in the tournament, I mean, this has been one of the most unconventional Wimbledons. Um, five of the um, five of the top eight players lost in in the first three days of the tournament, and then right after that, um, Simona Halep, who's number one ranked player in the world in the French Open Championship, um, loses uh, a match to um, a woman who I think made only her second uh, round of sixteen in the major. So credit to her, but. Um, it's unconventional, and then now, uh, but I guess what we're seeing is now, you know, like you talk about, uh, Serena Williams uh, is back, and she, you know, she's the GOAT, and she's there, and so I'm so curious to see because, listen, I, I think that a lot of people are really picking Serena Williams to win this match, and she's incredible, and what she's done is nothing short of remarkable, but if there's anything for the women's side that's Wimbledon, it's been just topsy-turvy crazy. Yeah, and, and I think that's always nice to see because you think of, you know, how things are, are going to go on paper. Obviously, the the one seeds and the two seeds are better than the eight seeds and the ten seeds and the fifth and the fourteen seeds and the sixteen seeds and the unseeded, and it it's good to see that kind of get flipped on its head for once. I don't know for for an individual sport, it's it it gives a good chance for us to see that you know how good players are regardless of their rank. I mean, you think of a player who's who's ranked say 105th in the world can beat someone who's been the top at at the top right. for so long, and it's right. it's just incredible in an individual sport like that to to see that kind of, of, of upset and that kind upset. of, it's awesome. In some match. It's great. It's, it's just, I, I, not, I'm struggling to put into words right now. Like it's not what we've been seeing in the NBA. I mean, you have someone like Sloan Stevens. Don't get me started on the NBA. Sloan Stevens makes the French open final and she loses in the first round. But Oh, and how big of a Serena Williams fan would you characterize yourself as? Um, honestly, not particularly, but that's, T- kind of tennis as a whole I've, I've definitely fallen out of love with the game um since i took up competitive golf uh but i will say that i i would root for serena to do well just because she's faced a lot of adversity and a lot of negativity sure. from from individuals who who don't see who don't want to see a black woman succeeding in, in a sport like this um so definitely power to her and, and she is the greatest tennis player of all time in my personal opinion she is um, it's, it, to to win to win double digit grand slams is one thing to win 23 is another and she's she's on, incredible. She, if she can win on saturday she'd bring home her 24th the only yeah. other i guess incredible athlete or even team at this point i can think of an individual athlete to win that many huge championships is the new york yankees uh at least in the united states obviously with real madrid and give and and barcelona and, and a bunch of english teams we right. we, we get that 
but I'm, I'm talking about just the championships as we understand them in the American sense, just to kind of Americanize sports for a second. Yeah. 24 is obscene. And it's, it's incredible. It's, just, it's absolutely nuts. She's so to think dominant about. relative to anybody else. She just know? she just brought a child into the world for the first time. I mean, that's that's something you have to give her credit for as well. To be able to be a full time mother and then get back to kicking ass on a tennis court. Like power to you. And like power so to you, Serena Williams. She's been very she power to her. She's a great one, man. She's been very vocal about what it's like to be mother and also like speaking out against racism. That's why she didn't want to play in the Indian Wells tournament for, you know, and she stood up against that credit to her you know so she's amazing uh and i guess transitioning over to the men's side i think there's a ton of interesting storylines um you have um one of the craziest days of quarterfinals that have been in, in wimbledon history um so you have uh no, for one thing i'm most excited to see novak djokovic because he's a guy who um through injury and adversity um, went from being the best player in the world in 2016, and we're wondering, is he going to start rivaling Federer? And then all of a sudden he starts um, not playing well, and then he gets injured, and he's been battling injuries. And um, So he didn't. He hardly played in 2017, and the game in the tournaments he did play, um, in the majors he didn't do well, and then in 2018 uh, he didn't do very well either. And it's great to see him back. And then, you know, we have uh, the chance for John Isner, uh, and Kevin Anderson on their first majors. We have Nijal gutting out a, almost a five-hour match so against Del Potro. Uh, there's just a lot of interesting uh, things you could follow here, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, we're, we're, we should be in for a nice uh, round of matches tomorrow. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be following it as closely as you have, but I'll keep an eye on it for sure so we can yeah. uh, see about it. Um, again. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is a broken record, but it feels like every time that Federer doesn't win Wimbledon, it's going to be either one of Djokovic or Nadal. Sure. It's, it's Andy Murray thrown in there as well, uh, but he hasn't been, I don't think, as great as of late. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I just haven't um, seen his name a lot. Yeah, well, Andy, Andy Murray's been injured. Yeah, uh, so well, he, that'll do it. But but um, you're, you're, you're right because, you know, grass is a specific surface where you really need to serve and, and volley very well. Um, and I think that's why it's a thing. I mean, but, you know, you're going to have Isner and Kevin Anderson are playing each other in the semifinals. And uh, so one of those guys is going to face uh, Djokovic or Nadal for the chance to win. And, and that'll be something new. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting. And, you know, we could see an American win Wimbledon. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's, again, more of that kind of new school versus old school. The John Isner, uh, Kevin Anderson first, uh, first Grand Slam title, first Wimbledon against your established heavyweights, Nadal and, and Djokovic. Um, if you had to ask me right now, I'd say Nadal beats uh, he beats Djokovic in five sets and one of the other two in three sets. But again, I don't follow wow, tennis okay. as close as I used to, so I couldn't yeah. really tell. But no, Nadal, but, Nadal just seems to be a pretty pretty safe pick, if you ask me. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say Nadal's the best player. I would say Djokovic just played the best of anybody in the tournament. But I think, I think Nadal is also going to win. Uh, one of the greatest competitors, and uh, yeah, I just still can't believe Federer. He lost, you know, he blew a two sets to none lead. I mean, that's just unheard of for arguably the goat. So in men's tennis, so yeah, yeah definitely be... something to watch tomorrow and and Sunday through the World Cup madness somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'll be awesome. So on to you know, it seems like we have a lot of great events coming up. Uh, to our our next topic, um, I, I want to get your thoughts on on you know. First of all, on, on the MLB All-Star Game, and I, I have a few 
I, I guess I have a couple of hot takes, but I'm curious about, you know, how excited are you about the MLB All-Star Game and what are you looking forward to? Uh, well, let me put it this way, uh, in no uncertain terms. The MLB All-Star Game is my favorite sporting event of the summer, hands mm-hmm. down. Uh, it is, to me, the middle of summer. I mean, it's pretty much calendar-wise the exact middle of summer. Um, but it's just, it's just, for me, it's a time to see athletes from my favorite sport, you know, play in this game where you get to see the best players or seemingly the best players I've got to take on this as well. Uh, we'll get to later in the show as we do our party shots bit. Uh, the best and the most popular players, unfortunately, most popular, uh, mm-hmm. go at it in a nine-inning game that used to mean a lot. Now it means absolutely nothing. Uh, and it's just one of those things where, you know, I I love it regardless of who's in the all-star team. Um, it, it's just it's one of those beautiful parts of the year. Uh, and my favorite part of it, absolute favorite part, is the home run derby. Uh, I always love the oh. home run derby. I always will love the home run derby, just because it's it's just so much fun to see what players do. You know, a home run is not necessarily uh, you know something people try to do on a daily basis. Although we're seeing mm-hmm. that trend kind of increase in baseball, but you don't always necessarily swing for the fences, or at least when you're a kid, you're not taught to swing for the fences. Um, but in this event. You are told to literally swing for the fence. Swing it, for it's it's got to be the most kind of quintessential American thing there is, especially in this sport, because it's literally okay. Uh, just let's hit as far as we go, can. <laughs> yeah, just as much muscle, yeah. as much power as you can. Just hit it out of the ballpark, um, and it's just a lot of fun. And it's 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 really my favorite favorite time of the year. Uh, I'm actually driving back from the Bay Area on Monday, or at least supposed to. So. Uh, hopefully I'll be back in time for the home run derby. If not, uh, then DVR is going to be my best friend on Monday night. Definitely. Yeah. Is there any uh, home run derbies in the past that have stuck out to you? Oh my god! Uh, the last three years, pretty much. Um, my absolute favorite, though, absolute favorite, was 2008 at Old Yankee Stadium when Josh Hamilton put on an absolute oh, clinic. He didn't even win the tournament. Actually, that's he, right. He though. lost he, that home run he, derby to, oh. to Justin Morneau in the final. That's right. It was it was just like the the second to last round. There was one round he 20, had like twenty eight yeah. homers. And, that's incredible. And it just felt like he kept hitting them farther and farther and farther. Uh, he hit him onto the tarmac. He hit him. He almost hit the back of Yankee Stadium, which I know it's a small ballpark, but that's really hard to do. You gotta oh, be a strong ass man to do that. That that was, dude. I remember that man. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, that was. Josh Hamilton's got power too, you know. I mean, for me, I, the one that always will stick out to me uh, was was the Bobby Abreu performance. Uh, Josh oh, Hamilton was, broke his record. Yeah, but that was I remember a huge it one. for the reasons that a he just at the time he broke the record for the most home runs, and he was it was just incredible watching him just keep hitting him. And then also, you know, he, I think he kind of lost the swing. So that, I think, kind of opened the debate of, you know, is, is home run derby good for your swing? Should you not do it? But at the same time, it's so fun to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, you saw what it did to Aaron Judge in the second half of the season. And part of that is also figuring out what makes a rookie so good. Um, but it, it, it kind of, it does, unless we, your swing is a lot like Cody Bellinger, uh, where he it looks like he's kind of swinging for the fences the whole time, um, it, it's 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 hard to see that changing and I'm a little yeah. I'm a little concerned for Freddie Freeman because he's he's one of those players who has that uppercut swing but right. it, it doesn't always seem like his goal is to lift the ball which is what you kind of have to do in a home run derby. Sure in a home run. So but let me ask you though and yes like you you just mentioned like you know players will kind of adjust to maybe take an uppercut swing to get the ball more power but I mean these guys you know like any athlete they've put in so much work to their craft and 
have uh, spent hours with their swing. So you don't think they, you know, maybe they alter their swing just for, you know, a couple hours on one day. You don't think they can just get it back? Like, I don't, maybe I think, I feel like maybe sometimes I make too much of this. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's one of those things we we yeah, maybe mental. talk too much, and of course, this is the first time the season where teams take more than three days off at once, or actually more than two days off at once. Now that I think about it, actually, no, this is the first. Yeah. This is the only time in the season, uh, except for uh, playoff teams, where teams take more than one day off at a time. Because usually yeah. it's just one off day. It, you don't get to That's you right. don't get back to back off days. And this time, I think it's four, three or four days. Yeah, um, at the All Star break, so that that nice. can throw off players just as easily as as as. That's a good point. I didn't even think home. about that. So I didn't even think I, about that. I, I think it's definitely an issue, but it's something we also might be reading into a little bit much. Maybe uh, it's mental too. The players will say, "Yeah, you know, oh, like maybe my, I'm struggling. Maybe it's because I was in the home run derby. I don't know. It's you know, like the Madden curse. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, kind of- it's it it could be a, a little bit of both. Um, but. The home run derby is not the the whole reason we go we gather in one yeah. city this time in our nation's capital, uh, to to do all star <laughs> all star things all star festivities. Oh, I will I will give a special shout out to the celebrity uh, softball game. That's always fun oh to that's always fun. But Owen, all right, so on this topic, I know we're going to get into a little bit like you said the roster controversy. But um, listen for me. Um, now, Owen, we're both baseball fans, and we, you know, I always really enjoy watching All Star games, so we'll watch it regardless. But to me, if you ask me, I think baseball made a big mistake, and I personally don't like the new format. I loved it when the game meant something because it was the only sport where the players were, you know, it, it just the game was great. You know, I can remember, you know, Trevor Hoffman blowing the save and Michael Young hitting in the ninth inning and. You know, the guys even running out of pitchers, and it was it was such a great game. I enjoyed watching, not just to see the players, but to just watch how good a game it was. And and for me, I'm just I'm also thinking about the neutral fan, and and I'm just thinking, you know, listen, there's been a lot made of 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 kind of the the relative decline of baseball, and I'm thinking, you know, if why would people tune into the game? any more now for the casual fan if it doesn't mean anything anymore you know it's like before you can still have the your favorite players still play but but they played really hard and last year you know they were kind of joking around and and that's cool once in a while but i just thought i i liked how it was and i'm I'm disappointed they changed it yeah and i definitely echoed your sentiment for a while um it 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 was nice to see that unlike the pro bowl in football uh, american football and with the all-star game in basketball that those games, you know, and at the NHL as well, didn't really mean anything. Uh, but then you kind of think about it that a, a team of guys who are kind of, you know, it's not position players pitching. It's it's like closers pitching in like the fourth inning. Uh, how a game like that and with, you know, Mookie Betts hitting ninth, uh, you know, a, how a game of that magnitude uh, decides who gets home field advantage in the World Series. Yeah, um, I love. I, I, love I like that. that element to it, but at the same time, I can see the argument against it, and that you know, it's it should be down to which one of the teams was better in the off se- in the regular season. Now, part of that is part of baseball is is there's such a long season, and some teams have easier division than divisions than others. Yeah, and, and it's kind of easy to feast on your own. Not easy, but it's it's you're more likely to win those games. I mean, obviously, you have to play the game, and that's not for granted. Uh, but the general thought is that. The year record isn't necessarily the most indicative thing of how good a baseball team you are. I mean, you think of the team like the Dodgers that started right. off 
terribly this year. And and now they're they're, they're regained. They're right there. They're right in first place, or they're right out just just outside first. I think yeah. How tonight's game went? I believe they won tonight. Maybe not. Uh, not Dodgers, sure. They did win tonight. Uh, oh, three two yeah. over the Padres. So they're right there. Yeah. So they're they're in first place for the first time. Sole first place for the first time in 2018. Uh, and I think it's one of those it's one of those big things where you can't necessarily judge a team's quality based on their record. Uh, in in soccer in football it, True. It, i think it's a lot easier to do that um just because it you know obviously you have your fluke result here or there but at the right. same time over the course of say a 38 game season you're not going to have very many games where it's like oh yeah this team is expected to beat this team because that's just the nature of at least the premier league but that's again that's getting off topic um the main thing is you can't judge a team based on their record and especially in baseball when you play so many games it's, it's hard to say who's definitely better yeah, no, it's it is tough, and I think that's just you know why it, just anything can happen once you get in the postseason. You know, that's that's the that's the mantra: get in the postseason and see see what happens. Yeah. There. So so for as bummed as we are to see the All Star game not mean anything anymore, I think it's a good thing. Um, okay. And and I think last year's last year's All Star game was was a really good game too. I mean, it went to extra innings, and Robinson Cano ended up hitting a solo homer. Ended up winning MVP as well. So no, it's, it's cool. It, it's it's still a good game, but to me, baseball just put it itself into the same conversation. I don't want to in in the sense of the NBA All Star Game and the Pro Bowl in the sense that while the MLB All Star Game is way still way more competitive than those two, it's like now you know as a baseball fan, it's almost like I think it's all like you'll watch it if you're more of a fan. Where just before you know. It, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm streaming too much of it. It was almost like, oh, like this is like a, also a big game, so I feel like I should watch it. Yeah, you know, no, I, I totally get what you're saying there. Um, but I, I think in the end of the day, it for for competition's sake, it makes most sense to get rid of the All Star Game to find uh, yeah. deciding home field advantage. For, um, for sure. More yeah. specifically about the All Star Game, I want to get into both the final vote and the rosters. Mm-hmm. Because it, it doesn't seem like there are very, very many, I guess, surprises. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you've been following this year, which obviously you and I have, um, and and two of the bigger surprises are the guys who won the the final vote um, for the AL and the NL. I'm talking about Gene Segura of the Mariners and right. Jesus Aguilar of the Brewers. Um, both of them very deserved winners of the final vote. I think the candidates on the Ross on the on the ballot for that final spot were a little suspect, especially in the AL with a certain John Carlos Stanton. Um, <laughs> but back to the guys who won Gene Segura, I mean, hitting 329 this year with an 827 yeah, OPS yeah. with 117 hits past halfway. I mean, that's pretty. those are pretty solid numbers uh, it, any way you look at it. Um, the NL as well, Jesus Aguilar uh, leading the National League in dingers with 23. 307 average with an OPS of 1013, which is absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah, I mean, I think like you said, it's it's uh, it's the like you can't argue with the with the fan votes, you know. No. Um, players, I mean, I I, I would have thought Giancarlo Stanton would certainly get in somehow, uh, given you know he's a Yankee and somehow yeah. they're gonna. But, they were gonna but here's here's the thing, and and I will of course acknowledge my anti-Yankee bias. I don't like the Yankees. I I I hate the Yankees like most people do. Like okay, maybe not most people. Like a lot of people do. Um, but but someone who's I mean he's not leading the league in OPS he's not leading the league in homers he's not leading the league in RBIs and he has more hit, more strikeouts than he does hits how does a player like that deserve All Star recognition if he has I guess a good OPS 
I mean, that that's the thing that, that's just mind-boggling to me. I mean, his his war and OPS are comparable to Andrew Benintendi's, but Benintendi doesn't strike out more than he gets hits. That's that's the difference. And I think a lot of people, especially Yankees fans, are overlooking that. Giancarlo Stanton was horrendous to start the year, and he's still not great. He was. I mean, he's, he's horrible, dude. He, he was you – could, you could throw – like three now, baseballs at him, and he wouldn't hit a single one. I mean, to his defense, I mean, April is historically his worst month, but he was really bad, man. I mean, he was. I mean, mythically bad. Yeah, I mean, through it took till about I think mid May before he, he kind of got the bat going a little bit. Yeah, so to me, just having him on the ballot was a little disappointing. I'm happy he didn't win. He finished behind Andrew Benintendi, thankfully. Um, it was a little disappointing to see Max Muncy not make the All Star game for the Dodgers. He's been so important for them all season. Um, he's been basically their lone consistent bright spot uh, so far, although the team is starting to kind of as a whole get it all together. And again, I've said this last week, maybe the week before as well, uh, it, the Dodgers are going to be fine. No one is panicking in that clubhouse right now. They all understand that it's, you know, when you go to Game 7 of World Series, it's going to take a toll on you for the next season. This was theirs, uh, and, it you know, they're back on track now. They're in first place, uh, and if they can take care of this next year is going to the all-star break then you know they can make another run at at october and i think you, they i think they will oh and are you concerned at all about i mean i know it's only a few weeks you're concerned about the osseal puig injury you know i mean i i know I, am. I know they have a lot of you know it's only a few weeks but you know in a tight race you know maybe a few weeks can make all the difference i am and only because i saw the injury i was watching the game um at, at when yeah. I, it was on mm-hmm. at the gym and i i saw him take that swing that that took him out uh, we saw earlier in the season Miguel Cabrera went down with a torn bicep. Uh, yeah. It was a very similar kind of swing. Uh, and I know it was a different injury, but it's still one of those things that it's concerning when you're swinging a, a, a bat and it, it, you feel that instantly. Um, you know, oblique injuries are, are no joke, They're especially tough. for something where you're contorting your, your upper body uh, like baseball players are when you're twisting it like that. Uh, and and so I, I I am concerned for the Dodgers, but I don't think it'll be the end of the world. I think they have the resources and the willingness to to trade prospects that they'll go out and get someone at the deadline, or maybe they'll call up one of their young guys like Alex Verdugo. Uh, the Dodgers have a lot of resources; they're in a good position. I think they'll be fine. Um, I am a little concerned about the injury, but it's not the end of the world. Me too. No, me too. But um. Oh, and how about I mean everybody's. You know, making a big deal about Blake Snell not being in the. I mean, oh, he's got the third best ERA in in the in the in the MLB. Like, how does he not make the All Star? He, I think he only flies under the radar like that because he plays for the Rays. And, yeah. And now the, it's not even that the Rays play in a small market because I mean, St. Pete's not a huge media market, but it's just they don't get the recognition they do. I mean, even when they went to the World Series, people are always like, "Oh, Tampa Bay has a baseball team." It's it's one of those ideas, and so naturally, someone who's that good is going to have that perception. But didn't, right, but it's something, What the, the new rules, right, it's like, well, the players vote for, like, first five starting pitchers, right? Uh, so It might be something like that, but but the AL, again, is just unbelievably stacked, so it's, it's, it's tough to make the call to not keep them on the roster, but I think it, at the end of the day, it, it makes sense. I don't like it, I don't love it, but it makes sense. Yeah, just because I mean, you think of you think of the top five teams in the AL, uh, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Astros, the Mariners, and uh, the Indians. Who are the top five pitchers on those teams? Chris Sale, Luis Severino, Corey Kluber, James mm-hmm. Paxton, Justin Verlander, 
plus like four other guys who are all filthy. I mean, it's 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 not fair to look at the American I know. League at, at starting pitching and to you know, and you think of the closers as well. Old is Chapman, Craig Kimbrell, uh, right. Edwin Diaz in Seattle. Uh, not Ken Giles in Houston. They need to no. Get a closer. He's terrible. He's not good. Uh, I was going <laughs> to say terrible. someone. I was going to say someone else for Houston, but they need a closer. Um, yes, they do. But, yes. but the point is, it's it, it's just they. Blake Snell's just unlucky because he plays in such a tough. Div- it's he plays in the. It's like playing the Western Conference in the NBA. I mean, it, it's getting to that point. It's not quite there yet, but it's it's getting there where it's it's so incredibly top heavy. Well, but I, I just yeah. I mean, I just felt so. Here's the thing. I like. We get this, but obviously Bryce Harper should not be an all-star. I want to hear your opinion. Oh no, 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 no! That was my that's my party take. Bryce Harper it, is still an overrated player. I'm so sorry, I guess he's overrated. If, if it's if it's a party take, we'll we'll save it. But I guess what I'm so surprised about about Blake Snell is that you know you'd think that like you can see why a player like he would him would get in even though he shouldn't because of his popularity, but then. For the players that aren't as popular, once you get to the middle and the back end of the All Stars, you'd think that like that's where like the fairness would come into play, and I guess it just really didn't in this case. But um, you know, it's still going to be a great game, and uh, you know, as much as I think he's a great pitcher, I don't think I think he should definitely be an over Corey Kluber, who just got tagged again today. So you know, um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. Uh, I think Snell. Snell definitely deserves a spot in the All-Star game, but it just so happens he plays in the American League, and the American League is is crazy stacked right now. I mean, you, you think of the teams who are likely to win the World Series. I think there's one that comes from the National League, and it's maybe the Nats right now. Uh, but even so, the Nats aren't doing that hot, and we're – we're getting in. We're going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Bryce Harper for a little bit because oh, we got some. We got some so things to talk about. So picture there. this, Owen. I mean, could you just picture the corner outfield of the Braves having Nick Markakis and Matt Kemp? Imagine if they had this Matt Kemp. And yeah, then yeah. Um, you know what? It it's one of those things where it's it's you know hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, but I think Matt Kemp has yeah, a certain he has a certain chip on his shoulder going back to L.A. that he wouldn't have had in Atlanta. Obviously. Growing up a Braves fan, he would have loved to play in front of you know people who are pretty dedicated to the Braves now, who are who are playing good baseball. Um, not as of late, the last week or so has been kind of rough, but uh, on the whole, the Braves are playing good baseball, and it's you know hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and to to have the Braves where they are right now is more than I could have asked for about six months from about it, six it's months incredible. ago. I mean, it, it was crazy to see how fast Ozzie Albies started the season, and then shortly after that, Ronald Acuna coming up, he got hurt. Uh, but the team kept on kind of going, and it's, it's a different. It's a different guy every day. Whether it's Kurt Suzuki, whether it's Nick Markakis, whether it's Ender Inciarte, Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, an under the radar MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the team. It's it's not. It hasn't been one guy for the Braves, and that's always kind of been their thing. Um, you know, you, you even think of the teams in the '90s when Chipper Jones was around and good. It wasn't even just him because they had Maddox and Smoltz, right, and Glavin. Um, so it's kind of the Atlanta way to not have that superstar. But of course, as you and I know, just, it, it comes to bite you in the ass more. It's just when I think of the Atlanta teams, like you mentioned, like growing up, it was all about the pitching. I mean, Chipper Jones. I mean, obviously they had good hairs, but you know, like like you said, you know, the, the, I thought of it at its core, you know, the Smoltz and the Glavins and the Maddox is whereas now, like you said, you know, it's the balance of, of players in the field, you know. Yeah, so it, it, I don't know. Just to have the Braves here is good enough for me. Um, maybe next year my expectations get a little higher, but then the disappointment also gets higher. So it's a kind of a, 
don't it's know. It might be a lose lose situation there. I want Matt Kemp. Think that. I want Matt Kemp to win NL. I mean NL MVP. Men remember when he could have won over Ryan Braun and he didn't, and now this could yeah, be. Yeah, that redemption. was um, he he deserved it that season, not Ryan Braun, uh, who we found absolutely. out later was on steroids. So yeah, no, absolutely. That was disappointing. Um, yeah. All right. So yeah, I I, I just don't. I don't think uh, it's it. You can really talk about it that way uh, in terms of Matt Kemp being on the Braves, and, you know, having Marquecas and and Ciarte and 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 Kemp in the same outfield, which is what they had last year for for stretches when Kemp was healthy. But um, it, you know, it, it is what it is, and the Braves have got guys coming up in the pipeline, and I think the Atlanta Braves are going to be competitive in a few years. Um, maybe this year is just an aberration, but they're not. They're not positioned to to win a World Series this year, even though Alex Anthopoulos is notoriously one of those GMs who will go for it at the deadline. Uh, mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, we'll see. It, it, it'll be it's that's so interesting, man. Yeah, we'll be so, we've been rambling on our main topics for a while. Yeah, um, I think it's time to get takes. to uh, at least yeah. my favorite part of the show, where we give our parting shots um, as to you know what's 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 a big take we have. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's my take, and okay, let's hear I it. alluded to this earlier in the show before you uh, wisely cut me off and told me to wait until this part of the show, but we're back at this part. Bryce Harper is the most overrated player in baseball, and I say that not because he's terrible, because he's a good player. I say that because he is the most hyped player in baseball outside of players who actually consistently are in top three MVP voting. You think of players like Mike Trout, who they really should just give the award to him every year. And He's incredible. Create a, create a separate award for the AL MVP, not named Mike Trout. Um, he, he's just having another incredible season. I think he wins it again this year. Even though Mookie Betts also today having a 13 pitch at bat and then launching a grand slam off J. A. Happ, which was crazy. Um, he having another great year, but again, just it's not on on Mike Trout's level. It's, it's, it's I don't know what else to say about it. But back to Bryce Harper, uh, mm-hmm. he is hitting very close to the Mendoza line for a player like Bryce Harper. That's unacceptable. Uh, it's way too low of an average. He's has a hole in his swing that pitchers are exposing earlier in the season. He was really getting to that ball kind of up and away, but he's gotten away from that a little bit, I think. And I, I think the team around him struggling doesn't help because they see – uh, better pitches to hit because they're struggling, which means he sees less pitches to hit and he has to chase. And it becomes one of those things where you have to, you have to have better plate discipline. You have to just put the ball in play for Bryce Harper, even though you have an opportunity to drive in runs. And again, it's just one of those situations where Bryce Harper is getting more of the hype than he should for a player of currently his production level. So I think Bryce Harper right now still the most overrated player in baseball. I will, again, acknowledge that I don't like the Nats because they're a direct rival of the Braves, and they've always been that way. Bryce Harper's only played for the Nats, so he's only known this rivalry of the Braves. But I will say this. He is still very overrated. Very much so. Sure. No, I mean, I think, like, there's... Yeah, I mean, first of all, when you're, you know... We hold Bryce Harper to such a high standard, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, like he, he he is struggling for sure from the plate. He still has twenty two home runs, um, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been he 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 actually started the year really well. I think in his first no, he was he 15, was one of the best twenty in games, baseball, probably the and best what, in baseball outside and then, of Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, what happened after that? I mean, I guess he started chasing pitches. It, it was it was more a combination of the team starting to struggle um, and. You know, with Bryce Harper in that lineup, you you can kind of see 
who you can pitch to. I mean, Trey Turner, not the not the you know 350 hitter that I think a lot of us expect him to be. At least not right now. He's 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 a very solid player and definitely their future. Um, but he's still pretty young. Michael A. Taylor has holes in his swing. Anthony Rendon, one of the best hitters, he was on DL for a while. Daniel Murphy on the DL for a while. So the Nats, they they need those players to protect Bryce Harper because otherwise you can just give him four pitches and, and you can just put him on base. They sure. you don't even care if he gets on base or not. And and right and that's why I think his his OPS stays where it is. Um, hasn't sure. really dipped like his average. No. But going back to it, it's it his success depends more on the teams than other players and that's why i think he is a little more overrated mike trout is going to have an mvp season regardless of how the angels do they could win 30 games and he's still going to hit 320 with like right. 40 homers and 120 ribbies sure with like 30 stolen bases i mean mike trout is while playing gold glove caliber center field i mean he's the man he's is incredible. incredible he's he's brian urlacher with a baseball bat that's that was a description i heard of him back in 2012 and it's still the most accurate thing ever uh, but I mean, listen, Owen. I, I I think it's it's just interesting. You know, he's a good player, a really good player. But listen, one of the problems is, I mean, simply is Harper is um he's swinging and missing a lot a lot more than he usually does. I know he swings really hard usually, you know, but he's not making a lot of contact. That that's one of the big problems. And you gotta wonder, like, when that's happening. So you know, sometimes like you know, like when you play, like there'll be times where man, you just keep pulling the ball or something, or you just man, you just keep swinging at bad pitches. But when he just keeps swinging, when he, when he's swinging and missing a lot more relative than he used to, you, you start to think that's a really bad slump, and, and and that's something that's harder to get out of than you think. And this is something yeah. that's not uncommon for him. He's had slumps like this before. He's had bad seasons like this, yeah. whether it's injury related or just just getting in your own head. For him. I think the best thing he needs to do is to redefine himself as a hitter, not just be this kind of, I'm going to hit the ball 550 feet like, you know, the phenom he is. But that, it, it's kind of hard to redefine yourself like that um, when you have a swing that's basically tailor-made for a park like, quote where, where pretty much guess where he's going in the offseason, the New York Yankees and Yankee Stadium. His his swing is tailor-made for Yankee Stadium and that short porch and right. I mean, he, they are they are going oh, yeah. to break the bank for Bryce Harper. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it now. Uh, on, I'm going to go on record right now. Mark it down. July 12th, 2018. Owen Hill. Bryce Harper is going to have the first $400 million contract in Major League history wow. this offseason. $400 million. 13 years or 14 years. I don't know. They're going to give him a huge contract, and he's going to make bank. That's – I mean – Listen, that's been the talk for for a while, but if, I mean, I, I can definitely see that happening. That is you know? that is my hottest take, Willie. Beat that yeah. hottest take. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, I definitely I definitely can, man. Um, so I I will. Um, oh. So all right, oh. all right. On. Okay. I, I have a really big hot take. Okay, I got let's a couple it. big hot takes. Um, so we might as well stay on baseball because a couple of them are about uh, baseball. So, oh, and listen, I've been thinking about. Um, like you said, like a guy like Bryce Harper that's so known for their personalities. But, you know, and it's funny because, listen, I've been watching, okay, I've been watching Alex Rodriguez on TV. Okay. And I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, okay, this is not where you think it's going to go. Oh, and I cannot believe that he ceded shortstop to Derek Jeter on because – do you realize, like, that A-Rod was a great shortstop? And do you realize, dude, like, listen, man, 
without with, to be fair, Derek Jeter, you know, great career. But oh, and from 2003 to 2014, I was looking this up. Okay, he had the worst defensive run saved, minus 152 of any shortstop. He was never a good fielder. He had no range. Okay, a lot of those famous you know plays you see were because you know he had good effort and he got there late. But you know, for me, I, I just think it's it's a it's interesting to I guess look at the. It's funny. I just like he just wasn't. He was a great leader and he, he was a great hitter, but you know so, sometimes I think players they're they're. As time goes on, we appreciate them more. But I, I just think that, like, when you look at where he ranks amongst the all-times, like, I, I just don't think he was that great a defensive player. And I never thought he was. So, at least defensively, Defense, you're saying yeah. Derek I'm talking, Jeter. I'm saying strictly as a defensive shortstop, okay. Derek okay. Jeter was not a very— uh, I, I got a little concerned there because as a great, I, I think, I think Derek Jeter being— I, I think you were, you were going towards the— the the son there, uh, as in Derek no. Jeter being the no no he know, did a lot he being... did a lot as a captain and a great hitter he exactly. definitely was one and, of the best shortstops. That, was, of that was what I was going to respond with. But, is, are, are you saying are you trying to take away from the legacy of a player who I as a Red Sox fan cannot hate? Uh, one of the players who defined the entire generation of of I guess our youth that uh, you know millennials growing up we we knew of one player on the New York Yankees it was Derek Jeter. Sure, you, you know it, it, kid, generations of kids both our age and older grew up wanting to be Derek Jeter. Uh, no, I, but no, right. I, I, I get what you're saying. And statistically that makes sense. Um, but again, this is why, this is why baseball is so great because there's multiple dimensions to it and you can't just rank players based on, on one part of their game because they can be a terrible fielder, but they can hit the ball out of the park or they right. can be a great fielder and just not be able to hit the broadside of a barn. So, I get what you're saying there, but that was dangerously close to being the hottest take we've no. ever heard on the show. And I don't want to, you know, and I'm trying to, I try to keep my optics educated. But what, <laughs> what, what, what I'm saying is, you know, like, yes, he was, he was one of the best shortstops that ever lived. But I'm just talking about, when you're talking about amongst, you know, the the greatest of all time, and, we you know, we hold guys to, you know, like, listen, Mike Trout, I mean, he's a He's a great. He's great in every part of his game, including the field. You know, and I, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was, it was interesting because they, you know, the A Rod Jeter thing was such a big deal, and I, I just wonder. You know, I, I always thought Derek Jeter would have been a better second baseman, but you know, that's, that's just an art. That is, that is a hot take. I want to hear what the rest of your hot takes are like. Yeah, because sure. There's, um, no, it's very interesting. Okay, so uh, there's, there's some heat to these. I, I yeah. don't know, man. All right, so three three more. We'll just do them quickly. We won't brush them off. So number one, uh, actually, um, one is on baseball. I um, the there's a window uh, for sports teams. You know the big, uh, you know where if you don't win it, you can't. And so, I personally think as a Cleveland fan, Cleveland, even if it means giving up one of their top three prospects, should give up one for Manny Machado. The t- unfortunate truth. Is that the Yankees are the Yankees? They're not going anywhere. The Astros look scary with all these young guys, and the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. So it's not like you know, while this year's stacked, these teams are going anywhere. So I think that um, you just have to make a move for the Indians. Otherwise, you may not ever win a championship. So I want to see them go all in. Interesting. Okay. 
What do you, what do you... uh, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think of, of all those teams, they have the shortest window. So it, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a do or die. This You have to think this year for, for the Indians. Right. Um, I, I wouldn't chalk it down as impossible, but rather unlikely uh, just because I, I think a lot of the speculation is that Machado favors a move to the Yankees, not just in the offseason, but right now. Right, and he would he would fit right. Uh, he he would be he would play wherever they want him to play. They'd move Andujar wherever. They'd have Gregorius stay right where he is. They put him at third. They'd move Didi to third. Put Manny at short. Whatever to make that man happy, because Machado is, I'd, mm. I'd say the best shortstop in the division by far. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely, man. But it, it's... if not the American League, but that's obviously there's a lot of good shortstops in the American League now. So that's up for debate. Lindor, there are. your boy, Lindor is is, is awesome. No, but I just think it's it's the situation where, you know, it, it's right now uh, Cleveland's got um, a couple of very – I mean, you've got a – between Kluber, Bauer, and Clevenger this year, you've got three starters that can win you games. So you add another bat like that to the lineup, um, it makes you dangerous, you know. And I just thought, um, you know, your, your luck only lasts some time. So I, I think that there just comes a time where, you know – that has to happen. So that's one. Uh, the second one would be, um, you know, going back to, to soccer, I just think it's been very interesting, you know. Um, we talk about how um, the game has changed from, you know, possession to attack and stuff. But I think one of the most interesting things about uh, a World Cup is seeing um, – how how players perform and and how and what happens as a result and i'm curious to see um you know how take a player like a pavard for france or a player like herbing lozano for um you know from mexico um the world cup i think is like the worst time to evaluate players it's just a short window and so i always think that teams have a hard time when it comes to evaluating when they're making transfers, player performance in the World Cup. So I was just interesting, interested in, in your thought on that. And now, same thing with James Rodriguez, you know? He showed how valuable it was for Colombia, but he can't replicate it for, for club performance. Uh, well, I would counter with James specifically just because he, he had a pretty good season with Bayern Munich, um, and he didn't have the game time at Real Madrid that he would have expected he when he moved from Monaco for all that money a few years ago. Uh, and I think he's shown he's got that ability at Bayern Munich. He's got the quality, and he they they want him to stay. He wants to stay, but Real Madrid want him to come back. And so that'll be one to watch for sure. Um, but what but what you were saying, yeah, it's it's tough to evaluate players because some teams only play three games in the World Cup. I mean, yeah, they're three very heavily watched games by everybody, but mm-hmm. it's really hard to see if a player is going to be all that good. Based on right. what he does, remember at Memphis Cup. Depay? Remember Memphis Depay? Yeah, exactly. Where is he? He's in France now. Yeah. After having a good season with a good World Cup with the Netherlands, being touted as maybe the next Ronaldo at at United, and then that fell straight fell. on its head, and then he got shipped off to France. I yeah. Mean, it's just one of those things. It's it's tough to evaluate players from their performance at such a small. Like speaking of a guy like a great example, Guillermo Ochoa. Dude, he plays great at the World Cup, but in club soccer, I mean, he's not. We never talk about him as, as even close to a, a goalie that's 
rivals any of the top ones. I, maybe I would say for Ochoa as well that we we also don't watch. Uh, he's in he's is he back playing in Mexico or is he still in in Spain? He's in Belgium. Belgium. Well, we don't we don't watch the Belgian league, uh, so that mm-hmm. might be part of it. But I I get what you're True. saying there. There's there's this allure of of players being evaluated differently because they play in a World Cup. But the only now one of the good ones. I mean, one of the few good ones I can think of is Kaylor Navas, just off the top of my head. You know, he does really well with Costa Rica, then Real Madrid get him, and, you know, he's, he's played well for them. And I'm sure there have been other good cases, but I just feel like more often than not, it's gone the other way. It's been... Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely fair to say, and I'll give you that one. Yeah, for sure. All right, I want to hear this last hot take of yours. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I... This is, a, this, is very, this is interesting. It's not a hot take, but... I I've been thinking oh, you can't you can't sell to me as a hot take and then tell me it's not a hot take is it right, you, you right, gotta right. sell this to me okay sure sure so I've just been thinking about the most dominant athletes of all time and uh and when I when I say the most dominant athletes I um I I mean best not just the best but like the best athletes relative to their sports and to me i can't sort out i cannot distinguish in my opinion i've narrowed it down to serena williams tiger woods and floyd mayweather as the three most dominant but i can't choose between the two three and i'm curious what your thoughts on that would be you know like I, Serena Williams, for her whole career, has been overly dominant. Tiger Woods, from 1999 to 2009, played some the greatest stretch of golf where he's blown people out of the water and winning so often. And Floyd Mayweather, you know, yes, he's a welterweight. He's not a heavyweight, but he, he went undefeated, but he did fight, you know, 49. I don't know. It, it's hard to evaluate boxing, so, so I don't know. So uh, I, I would just say this about dominance uh, by individual athletes. Um it is number one, obviously, very tough to do, to be as good as you are for as long a time as those those athletes were. Um, it's another thing to do it for um, just the, the magnitude they all did it. I mean, it's insane, and, and Serena Williams is still going. I mean, she's you know mm-hmm. she's in line to if she wins on Saturday, win her twenty fourth title. We talked about this earlier in the show. Twenty four titles is absurd. I mean, I, I, it's it's just it's just nuts to think that she doesn't get a fraction of the credit as men do in, 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 on the men's side. So it's Roger Federer said she's the greatest tennis goat. Period. I I would I would tend to agree with her too, uh, or with with Federer. So uh, you think she thinks she's the most dominant athlete of all? No, time. no, I don't. Who, who do you think? I is? and this is only because uh, I have a, a special. I mean, I think you know where this one's going. Um, yeah, I have yeah. more of a connection to golf than I do other, the other two sports. Uh, I say it's Tiger Woods because in golf in particular, it's such a tough game that it's so hard to have that stretch of dominance for as long as he did. You, you thought about his record. If you think about his record in majors when he had the lead after 54 holes up until 2009, 14-0. He did not... He did. He converted every single one of those. His percentage when when having the lead after fifty worlds, not just in majors, is almost untouchable. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 incredible what his his percentage is. It's at least a seventy five percent. It might even be in the nineties. Yeah, to do it I, in golf for as long as he did, 
and the way that he did it. He wasn't just winning by a few shots here and there. He was winning by multiple shots routinely. I mean, what he's was winning the in his fair share of playoffs, too. What was the tournament he had? There was one, was it a U.S. Open? There was one tournament where he won by, like, 13 or 14 15. shots. 15. It was 15 at Pebble in the U.S. Open, and then in 97, I believe, he won by 12 at Augusta. And I think I saw a Faraday episode once, like, a while ago, that Phil Mickelson was saying that was the greatest tournament of golf that he's ever seen anybody play you know i mean he i believe he was the only player under par that entire week no at pebble yeah in 2000 yeah uh, that's was he really i mean i that, believe that's... so i mean it, it, it was it was absurd to see how he torched pebble beach which is one of the toughest golf courses in the world he he made it look like a pitch and putt i mean it's crazy but let me let me ask you this Owen. if you had to put a, a percentage on this so I, I think if you ask me the, the most greatest thing about Tiger Woods, I mean, he did a lot of things. Like, he was so talented in all facets of the game. Great putter, just overpowered the ball and his peak. You know, he, he worked out. He pioneered that. I mean, to me, the most – if you ask me the percentage of what I think the best thing about Tiger Woods is, I think 70% of it was that just mentally he was so – like, I feel like – if you were a golfer, you just intimidated everybody so much else where you almost felt like you were done before the round started. Yeah, I don't know. No, he, he had that effect on people. He, it was definitely a case of since he was the first one to really make working out uh, for golf a big thing, he, he had this thing where he was the only guy besides John Daly in the field hitting the ball more than 300 yards on average. Add that with a guy who, who makes putts from, from long distance, who has the really creative short game and can shape irons any which way. I mean, this is we're talking about someone who had every facet of his game. Even his C-plus game could win him golf tournaments by multiple shots. It wasn't even his A game. His A game was Pebble in 2000 and Augusta in, in I think, 90s. And maybe it was 2001. Maybe it was 97. I don't know. Point is, Tiger Woods was really good at golf and, to me, uh, the most dominant of those three you mentioned. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, really interesting, man. I, I just think he did so much for the game in terms of the prize money, just the viewership, and I think, you know, I mean, I, I got interested in golf because of Tiger Woods, so I, I you, think you know there's, I a reason, there's a reason that he gets so much attention, man, and he, and he, and he deserves it, and, you know, I, do you think, okay, bottom line, do you think that um, not, now this is different than most dominant, but do you, think, do you think, is Tiger Woods better than Jack Nicklaus? Yes. Career-wise, I I personally do. Um, As not just purely based on his career, not based on how, bet, how who you think was the better player, but based on his, you know, because they say you know Jack Nicklaus won more majors. I'm not. I think Tiger Woods more more tournaments. Um, I don't know how you'd, you'd characterize that. It's interesting. I I'd, I'd say Tiger Woods just because he he did it in a really short stretch of of time and he was so dominant for so long. I think Jack was he had a, a more prolific career in terms of the majors. He had a longer career, um, but also the the game was different. And and Jack, uh, you know, obviously we haven't seen Tiger win in a few years, but Jack didn't have to deal with an entire generation of players that he inspired to be better. Tiger Woods inspired Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Rick, uh, Roy McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, etc., etc., etc. He inspired all of these younger players. When, when he was at the top of his game, and I don't think Jack Nicholas had that effect. So if you ask me to just based on the trophies, I, I'd, I'd maybe take Jack because he had more majors, but you can't ignore the fact that what Tiger Tiger is dealing with what he created as for being as good as he was. And I don't think any, any other athlete in any other sport can top that. Yeah, he had a transcendent impact, man. 
yes, he, he did. He single-handedly changed the game, in my opinion. My dad still, my dad and I still have this this conversation every now and again about uh, you know Tiger changing the game and turning turning it into a sport. My dad saying it was a sport beforehand, uh, to which I say, well, it, it, if it was a sport, why did no one get in the gym? I mean, that's the sign of a sport. Besides Gary Player, he was kind of he was really the first one to work out mm-hmm. uh, a lot in golf, but. Tiger is the one who made it really big. Made, and now it's, you know, looks like guys like... So now, like it's, now it's almost mandatory. Right. That, that's right. I mean, if you want to be if you want to be successful on tour, you pretty much have to work I mean, out and be in really good shape. My favorite was uh, <laughs> Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson are competing together in the US Open and they go before one of their rounds to lift together. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's one of those things know. now. It is one of those, it's one of those things. Golf is a full-blown sport. Um, it it might have been before, but it really is now. It's it's amazing, man. It's in such a great place. So yeah, that was a that was a good show. Yeah, we um we we got through a lot in. I mean, yeah. it took us a while. We'll get these shows down to an hour <laughs> at some point, but for now, I think an hour and a half is yeah. fine. Um, so pretty much at the end of the show, I know Willie and I are really excited for the World Cup final. I'm driving up to the Bay Area tomorrow to watch it on Sunday with my brother and France. some of his friends who will be on the show when we drop our Premier League preview, which uh, you should be on the lookout for probably late July maybe early august um still i'm going to work with them on the date to see what they want to do yeah. um, because you, want, they, you know yeah. they've got some hot arsenal takes so it'll be you want to know something funny on you know we're talking about who's better at eden hazard or, or mbappe mbappe when the world cup is hosted partially by the u.s he's gonna be 27 man imagine when the world cup comes to the u.s killian mbappe will be the world's best player he could, he could be out of the sport you never know Jeez, I mean, I mean, you never, take. you obviously never Are, want this. It's a morbid take, I know, but you, wow. you never want this. But he could, he could deal with, he could have injuries to deal with for the rest well, of his career. You never no, know. Not gonna But based, I mean, obviously, yeah, you, you want him to be as successful. But based on what you've said, I, I agree with you. Who knows? For me, we didn't get to this, but he's been player of the tournament for me. I think he's he's definitely gonna win young player of the tournament. He's the second youngest, and he's just yeah. defenses with his pace left and right. Um, but also, I, I think he's. He's just been the most consistent player for any team throughout the entire tournament. Uh, I don't know who they're going to give golden ball to for best player. I think Harry Kane's going to win the golden boot for most goals. He's got six. Modric, I'd say. Modric's Modric could win golden ball um, for his efforts, especially if Croatia win. I think that'll be yeah. a big influence. But that won't sure. happen until Sunday, and until then we are really looking forward to what should right be now. a great World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Three of the last four have gone in the extra time. I think this one will as well. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Apologize for a bit of the audio difficulties about, I think, 20 minutes through. Um, just, you know, stuff out of our control. I, I, got, I don't know. Deal with it. Um, but, Willie, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the show, yeah. as always. Um, always a blast when we get to sit down and throw down some of these hot takes. If you want to get in touch with the show, follow me on Twitter. Uh, put all the links and all that stuff in the description. Follow Willie on Twitter as well. Um, and we will be hopefully having this podcast on iTunes if everything gets approved um, sooner rather than later. So be on the lookout for that. I'll be sure to pass that link on to you and pass it on to your friends. If you like the show, again, feel free to get in touch. We're always looking to make uh, make the show more uh, interactive. So so we're all doing what we love to talk about sports and you know throwing out some hot takes. So for Willie, I'm Owen. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you probably next week. Um, Probably next week or the week after. I don't know. Good night, everybody.